Here they come. Good deal. Goals in life. Have you got any goals in life? Did you have any goals in life when you were growing up? I remember when I was growing up, I used to say that I would be a millionaire by the time I was age 30. I'm 53 and I'm still a little short. Y'all can help a brother out, amen? But maybe your goals weren't as over the top as mine were. Maybe you just wanted to make a living, raise up your kids to be good Christian citizens. But there are some people that don't have any goal. There are some people that have no goals in life. They just exist and they don't do anything. In the Disney classic, Alice in Wonderland, at one point, Alice says to the Cheshire Cat, would you tell me, please, which way I ought to go from here? To which the cat replies, that depends a good deal on where you want to get to. Well, Alice says, I don't care much where. To what the cat says, then it doesn't matter which way you go. Some people live like that in life. They don't care where they're going as long as they're doing. I now understand, especially in ministry life, that no matter how much I do in the name of the Lord, no matter how well I may teach, how well I may preach, how well I may serve, I am still lacking. I can never reach perfection, and I will never reach perfection. No human being ever can. But I've also come to, to learn that our perfection is in Jesus Christ. Whether we do well or whether you don't, our hope is in Jesus Christ and Him alone. He is the goal. Every area of your life where you become more like Him, the closer you are to reaching your goal. Our goal in life ought to be to please Him and walk with Him every day of our life. I read about an 88-year-old man who was riding a train and the conductor came by and asked for his ticket. Well, he immediately started searching his pockets and fumbling through his wallet, couldn't find his ticket, and he started to get really upset. And the conductor was settling him down and comforting him and, and telling him not to get all tore up about it. He could just notify the desk at his destination, show them the ticket, and he'd be fine. But the man was still tore up. He was so upset. And he told the conductor, he said, Sir, my problem is not where is my ticket. My problem is where am I going? Some people don't know where they're going. Have you ever asked yourself 
Where am I going? Have at some point you come to the place where you said, you know what? I need to know where I'm going after this life. When this life is over for me, what's going to happen to me? I think people should ask that question. Because at the end of this life, all that's going to matter, the only thing that's really going to matter for you at the end of your life on this planet is, do you have a relationship with God that can only come through Jesus Christ? Nothing else is going to matter a hill of beans. So today, Paul points out a very specific goal, but he also points out some problems that we might incur uh, as we seek that goal. Now, uh, as I mentioned last week, uh, I get stuck from time to time, and it seems like I stay on the same theme. Today is no different. Uh, I'd like to remind you, first of all, of what Paul said to believers just like you at the church in Rome. In Romans 13, in verse 8, he said, Owe no one anything except to love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. And then in verse 10, he said, Love has, does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. And then last week, I pointed out to you that he said to the same Roman believers, he said, let love be sincere. Don't offer up a fake love. Don't offer up a love that says I love you, but then doesn't show it. Don't offer up a hypocritical love that doesn't support itself, that doesn't back itself up. Let love be sincere. Hate what is evil and cling to what is good. But today... Paul wrote to a young pastor boy, much like myself, amen? All I heard was a bunch of laughs, not one amen. What's up with that? Anyway, here we go. He wrote to a pastor boy who was pastoring the church at Ephesus. And so he writes to this pastor and he says to Timothy, As I urged you when I went to Macedonia, remain there in Ephesus, that you may charge some that they may teach no other doctrine." nor give heed to fables and endless genealogies which cause disputes rather than godly edification, which is in the faith. Now listen carefully. Now the purpose, the objective, the goal of the commandment is love. The goal of the commandment is love. What kind of love? A love from a pure heart? from a good conscience, and from a sincere faith, from which some, have, having strayed, have turned aside to idle talk, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor the things which they affirm. But we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous person, but for the lawless and insubordinate, the ungodly, and for sinners, and unholy, and profane, for murderers of fathers, and murderers of mothers, and manslayers, for fornicators, sodomites, for kidnappers, for liars, for perjurers, and if there is any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. 
Friends, the first thing I want to point out to you this morning is the goal of God's command. The purpose of God's command. The objective of God's command. It was written there in verse 5 of 1 Timothy chapter 1. Now the purpose, the goal of the commandment is love. From a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from a sincere faith. Wow. That is a pretty lofty goal. That is a high goal to live up to. Now we can all live up to the love part, at least partially, but the pure heart? I don't know about my heart sometimes. The good conscience? Honestly, I don't know sometimes. A sincere faith? Man, sometimes I wonder. Man, those are lofty goals. Jack's mom ran into the bedroom because she heard him screaming. She walks into the bedroom, and there his two-year-old sister has got a handful of his hair pulling on it. Finally, mom has broke the grip on the hair and let, let his hair go, and she told Jack, there, there, she didn't mean it. She doesn't understand that it hurts you. So she was barely out of the room when she heard the little girl scream. And she goes right back in and says, what happened? And, she, and Jack said, well, she understands now. <laughs> there are times where brothers and sisters can't get along, amen? Whether they're little or whether they're old, uh, sometimes even brothers and sisters have difficulty demonstrating love. But you know what? Some people never learn. Some people never learn to get along. They never learn how to demonstrate love. And I think I understand part of the problem. Part of the problem is this. Our love, our love for other people is based on their good behavior, not my good behavior. You see, if those people are good, if they do well, if they have good behavior, then I will exhibit my love to them. If they don't, then I won't. Amen? Is that the way you are or is it just me? Just me. I see how it is now. Y'all throwing Brother Bill under the bus. But I think that's exactly the way it is with most people. You better be good if you want me to love you. You better do right if you want me to love you. And if you don't, then I won't. But God says this. We're to love one another with a pure heart. What does that mean? That means unconditionally. That's the way God loves. No matter what you do, no matter how you fail, he may be disappointed in your sin, but does he stop loving you? He doesn't. He loves you unconditionally. He loves you with, without partiality. He loves you with a per, pure heart. Now, for that, it seems impossible for me. If God's got the pure heart, how am I ever going to love with a pure heart? I mean, his motives and his intentions are always pure. But mine, not so much. So how can I acquire this pure heart so that I can love properly? I can only acquire it from him. You know, the one who is pure. The one who has this pure love. 2 Corinthians 3.18 tells us that we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed. Say transformed. We're being transformed into his likeness with ever increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. 
Now, I like to liken the Christian walk kind of like a graph. Amen? We start down here unsaved. And then one glorious day, we come to Christ. And we start up the graph. And we walk real good for a little while. And then we take a nosedive. But then we'll get back on track and we'll walk up a little bit more. Sure enough, we'll nosedive. And we'll go up. Ever increasing glory. Do you get the picture? We with unveiled faces reflect the Lord's glory with an ever increasing glory. That's the idea, friends. We are to be transformed. And you got to be patient with people. You got to love people with patience because sometimes this transformation takes time. Sometimes this transformation takes time. And like God has been patient with you, and like God has been patient with me, we need to be patient with others in love from a pure heart. Now, I am a firm believer that we become like that that we admire. I believe that we become like that that we study. I believe we, we become like that whom we behold. Amen? We need to do this with God. We need to yearn to be like him. We need to yearn to be like we read. We need to yearn to be whom we worship every Sunday morning. We need to become like him. I mean, think of the people that drool over uh, Hollywood actors. They drool over Hollywood actresses. They try to dress like them. They try to imitate them. In their heart of hearts, I think they want to become like them. Well, they read all the gossip magazines. You know what I'm talking about, right? The trash rags at the register. I read them too. Y'all read them. I mean, at least the cover page. They read all the gossip magazines because they want to learn the inside scoop about the actor or actresses that they're following. My question is this. If people will do that for people, why won't people do that for God? Why won't we yearn to become like him who saved us? If people will do this for people, surely we should do this for God. And I believe the more we study about God, the more we see God in the scriptures, the more we study God in the scriptures, the more we're going to be transformed to be like him. The more we're going to be remade in his image, the more we're going to be purified to be like him. That should be our goal in life as believers. Our goal in life as Christians ought to become to be like him. Ephesians 5.1 says so much. It says, be imitators of God, just like dear children. In our marriage life group this morning, we talked about how much we're pleased when people say, oh man, your son looks just like you. Man, your daughter, she acts just like you. And you well up with pride and you get excited and you put a big smile on your face because you're pleased, you're proud that your child is acting like you. You. That should be the goal in life. We should become more like him. And listen, the more you become like Jesus, the more you're going to love other people. Because Jesus was in love with everyone. Let us love others like Jesus loved others. That's the goal in life. It's the goal of love is to love other people. Furthermore, it's the command of God. It's the command of God to love others. So my question is, what's the problem? If that's the command of God, why don't Christians love others like they should? Well, here's the problem. Men's claims. 
men's claims. Look there in verse 3. Again, Paul says to Timothy, I urged you when I went to Macedonia to remain in Ephesus, that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine, nor give heed to fables and endless genealogies, which cause disputes rather than godly edification, which is in the faith. From which some, having strayed, verse 6, have turned aside to idle talk, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor the things which they affirm. You see, we always encounter a problem when we get to man's thinking. When we start listening to what men and women think, you start running into problems. And the problem with what men say and what men think is that man bases his theories, his philosophies, and his beliefs on what he knows. And if we're honest, man don't know much. Amen? In the scope of all the knowledge of the universe, how much do we know? Very, very little. So these claims and these speculations of man actually lead people to hell based on what little they know or what they don't know. So what I'm talking about here is false doctrine. We need to be aware of false doctrine. What man has imagined, what man has hypothesized based on his own guess. That's what it is. Some people make a religion based on what some man guessed. We need to be basing our doctrine and our religion on the Word of God and the Word of God only. That's the only place we have to go. Now, many of you know what a myth is. A myth is uh, generally a religious explanation uh, for something. Listen to this doozy. Zeus was the god of the sky. He was the ruler of all the Greek gods. Zeus overthrew his father, Kronos, and then Zeus gambled with his brothers Poseidon and Hades to find out who was going to rule all the gods. Well, Zeus won and became the supreme ruler of all the gods. And then according to um, Greek myth, uh, he became the rain god. And as the rain god, Zeus's main tool, his main weapon was the thunderbolt. And anytime you displeased him, he threw a thunderbolt at you. Amen. Do you believe that stuff? Of course not. We don't believe any of that stuff. I don't believe that any more than I believe some of the false doctrines being taught today. I don't believe this Greek God business any more than I believe what some preachers are preaching today. Why? Because it don't come out of this book. It doesn't come out of the Word of God. And unless it comes out of the Word of God, I ain't buying. And I pray that's the case for you as well. Anything that's not according to the Word of God, we need to analyze very, very carefully. And if you don't believe in myths, then why would you believe in things like this? Oh, everybody's going to heaven. They just go in a different way. That's bull. God is so loving, He would never send anybody to hell. That's a myth. There is only, there's not just one God. There are a whole bunch of gods out there. What a myth. Man evolved from lower species and he's still evolving and one day he's going to become perfect. I hope you ain't buying that bull. There is no life beyond the grave when you die. That's just the end. 
What a myth. Jesus was just a nice person. He might have been a good prophet. According to the word of God, that's a bold-faced lie. We can't live by faith only by sight. It's only real if you can see it. Friend, that is a myth straight from the gates of hell. All religions are good, especially that radical Islam one. Amen? What a myth. Nothing is ever sinful. Nothing's ever evil in this world. It's just that people got bad karma. What a myth. Do you believe any of that stuff? Of course not. But my question is, and listen carefully, if you don't believe it, can you disprove it? If you're not buying the myth, can you disprove it by the word of God? As believers, we need to be able to stand on the word of God. We need to know enough about this book to take a stand. And when confronted with a myth, we need to be able to take a stand for the word of God and listen carefully, be nice about it. Amen. Listen to what Peter wrote. He said, but in your heart set apart Christ as Lord. Always be ready to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope you have. But do this in gentleness and respect. Timothy said something similar. He said, avoid foolish and ignorant disputes because you know that they produce arguments and the Lord's servant must not quarrel. Instead, he must be kind to everyone, able to teach, being patient in all humility, gently instruct with the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth. We've got to learn to hold to this word. We have to learn to uphold this word. But how in the world are you going to hold to this word if you don't know this word? How are you going to disprove any of these myths? How are you going to give anyone a reason for the hope you have if you don't know the word of God? It's worth your time, friend. It's worth your time. So believe it. Stand on it. But also be willing to speak the truth. Speaking of the truth, the truth is God's law. Look there in verse 8 with me. But we know that the law is good. Really, the law is good if one uses it lawfully, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous person, but for the lawless and insubordinate, for the ungodly and for sinners, for the unholy and profane, for the murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for fornicators and sodomites and kidnappers and liars, for perjurers, and if there is any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine. See, God's law, friend, is good. And it's especially good for lawbreakers. You know, sometimes I wish we had an autobahn in the United States of America. Anybody know what an autobahn is? Amen. An autobahn is a highway where you can drive as fast as you want. They got them in Germany. I wish we had one here. Wouldn't that be fun? Be a little scary. Amen. But it'd be fun. Think of all the time you'd save if we had an autobahn in the United States. I remember nearly 30 years ago, I had a brand new Taurus 
S-H-O. S-H-O stood for super high output. And man, that baby would roll. Two things I remember about the S-H-O. One, going 125 miles an hour down I-40 just west of Memphis. Man, that was fun, but I was scared to death. The second thing I remember about that S-H-O was that I got more tickets in that car than I did in all the other cars I ever owned. <laughs> What's my point? Point is, the law is for those who break it. You see, as long as I drove the speed limit, speed laws had absolutely no bearing on me. The only time that I had a problem with the speed laws was when I was breaking them. And man, when I broke the law, it definitely affected me. Amen? This is true for man's laws, but it's especially true for God's laws. God gave his law for lawbreakers so that they would know when they'd broken his law. And in this way, God's law is the absolute truth. There's only one. It's God's law. And it's good. And Paul wrote to Timothy saying, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who doesn't need to be ashamed as one who correctly handles the word of truth. What is the word of truth? The scripture. God's word. Scripture is God's word. Scripture is the word of truth. It's the word of truth which we live by. It's the word of truth that governs our lives or should. Amen? Or should. And what is Scripture? Well, according to Paul, he wrote to Timothy, and he said that all Scripture is God-breathed. Every word in this Bible is inspired by God, and it is useful, it's helpful to help us to know what's right, what's not right, how to get right, and how to stay right. So that the man of God may be equipped thoroughly for every good work. We need to know What's right? What's not right? How to get right? And how to stay right? Friend, what are you doing with the Word of God? What are you doing with the Word of God? Many people reject God's Word as the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. But we believe the word of God is the truth. And we desire to live by the truth of God. But how in the world can I imitate one that I don't know? Because I'm not reading the truth. Jesus was once asked, what is the greatest commandment in all of God's law? To which Jesus answered, love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second one is like it. Ready? Here's a big one. Ready? Love. Love your neighbor as yourself. I want you to think of a number. I want you to think of how many times 
Have you heard somebody read that verse in your life? How many times have I read it myself? How many times have I preached it? How many times have I read and preached that the first and greatest commandment of God is to love Him and love others? Well, the question is not how many sermons have I heard about it. The question is not how many times have I read about it. The question is, am I living it? Am I loving out loud? Am I loving out loud? Because according to Paul, as he wrote to Timothy, the goal of God's command is that we love him and that we love one another. And the claims of, of man will try to tear away at the very fabric of what God commands us to do. But when you come to the end of life, when you come to the end of life's road, nothing else will matter. Not your education, not your looks, not your possessions, not your money. All that will matter at the end of life's road is, have you loved God with a sincere love with all that is in you? And has that love you have for the Lord caused you to love others? See, friends, you can't do that unless you are in Christ. And our churches are overflowing with pew sitters that come and attend services every week. But if they're honest with themselves, there's a pretty vast majority that have no evidence of a sincere love for God. How do you know, Bill? Hey, man, I hear it all the time. I even see it when people come to church. See, this is kind of a profession of your love for God. This is kind of a profession for your love for others. But when it's really manifest, when it really becomes real, is when you start doing it outside these walls. See, this isn't church. Church happens out there. Church happens at your workplace. Church happens under your roof. Church happens during those quiet moments with your children. Church happens when you're serving God in something other than just a worship service. Do you love him? Do you belong to him? If you haven't got that absolutely stamped in blood over your life, I want you to know that today you can. And I want to encourage you to do so. Because when your life is over, friend, nothing else is going to matter other than did you love God and love others as a result of that love.
Let's pray.